I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1999 from a Caribbean communist paradise here in wow. 2000. Is it a paradise? Mm-hmm. And 19. Political. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Nightbar. Well, this is a political movie. At yeah, its core, it's it a political did. movie. Yeah. It also dances around politics. It, uh, as it should. <laughs> okay. It's the only good part about the movie. That's it's interesting. a bit of diplomacy. Dipl- yeah. Well, it is a very diplomatic movie. The whole, uh, I mean, the movie's Buena Vista Social Club was a bit is. of a sensation in 1999. Um, I guess it was a, the movie, that's the soundtrack or the CD that predated it in 97. Uh, did it win best album? Uh, that's correct. It? Oh, yeah. really? It's Grammy, Grammy, like, best. Yeah, it, it kicked ass. Sure. I mean, uh, the music's not, not critically. the problem. Uh, our guest is Gideon Diego. Yeah. <laughs> Diego, right? Yes. Gideon Diego uh, of so many television shows. I remember them because I'm so good at this. You were on uh, The Newsroom. You were also on the show that was about terrorism. Quantico. I don't remember. What else are you on? Uh, I think for this one, I'm going to wear my MTV hat because this is a music doc. <laughs> music is. doc. And yes. I am a former documentarian and music head. So I, I, I said to Kenny before we got on mic that what I'm most excited to talk about isn't really this movie, but the idea of music documentaries and yeah. sort of where it fits in the pantheon of all of that. Because it does feel like this movie was a big deal. I remember it being a big deal in 99. Didn't see it in 99, but I remember it was a big deal. I remember the, obviously the music, which predates it by a couple years, 97, if I'm not mistaken, or something like that. This album, the album, yes. The whole idea is that these guys were the guys in Cuba Mm -hmm. pre Castro revolution. Correct. So yeah, it's, you know, generally speaking, when Ebert lays into a movie, I don't, 
really get on board with it because usually right. he just feels like an old man saying, get off my lawn. Right. Kind of agreed with him on this one a little bit. He kind of went to town on it a little. Nice. Um, <laughs> How do you feel? Are you, not in, are you not into this movie? So I have really mixed <laughs> feelings about this movie. Um, I So like on the one hand, I adore everything that this movie intended to do. Best of intentions. The best of intentions. Yeah. There was like a version of this movie that could have been A plus amazing. And what we got instead was this Vim Vendors digressive, floating, yeah. formless, shapeless, shitty documentary. So I would go so far as to say that there are two different kind of music films. There's music documentaries and then there's concert films. Yeah. And this is not a music do- documentary. This is just a concert film. This has but like also m- kind of deconstructed in a weird way. So it doesn't really feel like that either. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, yeah. So yeah, con- concert, absolutely. Concert films to me aren't generally music documentaries, right? right. They're concert films. They're, right. they're, they're trying to do something else. Now, some, Stop making sense, for instance. Sure. What's weird is like, yeah, we did our top five music documentaries. Like, there are things that kind of play in both these spaces, but, yeah. um, I don't want to talk too much. We might as well just do our top five because we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna talk about all of them. So, yeah, sure. Sure. Um, I mean, you want to do but, yours first? Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, yeah. well, there's things, there's things, there's positive things to say about this movie. For no, sure. Absolutely. For sure. Uh, but if we're going to talk about, and there's positive things to say about any all, movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, you know, Amy of- Nicholson said that had that great thing on the Quentin Tarantino podcast, which is like right. every movie's worth talking about. Yeah. Right. This movie certainly worth talking about. We're not going like, to skip over it. But if we're going into like what makes music documentary and what makes great music documentary, I'm going to give you my five real fast. Um, number five is a personal favorite, Last Play at Shea, which is the, Billy Joel documentary, yeah, sure. but also about the Mets and Shea Stadium that works for me. Had a hell of a night last night, I heard. Uh, Billy, oh, yeah. They, I know. They, they, they gave us seven runs in the ninth inning. Uh, <laughs> like classic Mets. To, to yeah, lose, that's about right. To, lo- to lose the game 11 <laughs> to 10. On a three-run home weeks run. Weeks left in this season, yes. and now it all goes to shit. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yes. Um, <laughs> that, that Didn't mean to pour salt in the No, wind. no, it's okay. I just did what a break through to you that I know that, uh, that it's... it's <laughs> It's really, it's really made a cultural impact. Uh, then goes the montage of Heck. Great, okay. great documentary. That's on mine. The, don't, the, the Kurt, Kurt Cobain. Cobain. Yeah. yeah. With don't, the animation. Uh, yeah. yes. Yeah, it's super dope. Don't look back. Okay. Uh, the last waltz. Classic. That's on my five. And, uh, one of my favorite movies, Some Kind of Monster. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, also on my five. There you go. I have By not way, seen a ton of music documentaries from Beyond. Guys, honest. guess who's in some kind of monster? You're in some kind of monster? Oh, yeah. Repeatedly. Oh, that's why that's I like right, it so baby. much. Uh-huh. <laughs> wait, wait. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's the Metallica There's one thing that I kissed your ass, but it's another thing that you put the movie you're in on your own top five. Correct. <laughs> and that's the only reason why. That's it's fantastic. number one for that reason and that reason. It has nothing to do with watching James Hetfield cope with alcoholism and life or a band go through right. psychotherapy. Therapy. No, it's entirely. Yeah. <laughs> Was that documentary? When did that come out? Uh, God, shit. Two thousand seven, two thousand six, maybe. Yeah, all right, mid two. So it's it's yeah. post. Time has dilated because I have grown old. <laughs> <laughs> po- but it's post uh, sort of file sharing and and all their sort of like. Oh, dealing it's with way that beyond that. Like, no, I know stuff. it is. Yeah. But, but it's just it's it, it is interesting that that is that's part of their kind of 
that's where History. I become kind of like a Greek chorus in that movie is I like pop up and I talk about like them suing kids and like sure. what their shit was for a while. That was my beat was actually covering the band as it was starting to devolve. Yeah, so, really? Like, yeah. I, I pop into that movie looking like the twinkiest of all twinks <laughs> and like maybe <laughs> – one of my testicles has actually descended. Oh, man. <laughs> so ridiculously young. But what's interesting about that, though, and I remember when that was all going down and Lars was, you know, they were literally suing kids. Yeah. And and I kind of understood where he was coming from is the thing. Like on, on a purely sort of like uh, almost logistical level, they were stealing. Like it right. was – it is – he, on, was, on, on. he was right. I'm just making I mean, sure like we're on the same page. Uh, okay. <laughs> I mean, you know, look, it was not – I remember – because I re- – look, I mean, I remember that was, you know, that was kind of one of the first stories I ever covered before I started doing, like, terrorism stuff. Like, because uh, Napster was, you know – It was like 2000, And it right? was – yeah, it was like everything in dorms and it was, you know, this new approach towards how kids use music and the invention, uh, the invention of the iPod kind of changed all of these games. There was a failure by the music industry to adapt a working business model, you know, to adapt to streaming 100%. or licensing. They thought so they could that. indict their way to profit. Yeah. You know, and there was something inherently wrong about that. And and Lars Ulrich was the cheerleader for that. You know, they were a notoriously t- litigious band. Like, I remember we would always do stories where it was like, you know, Metallica sues local nail polish company for use sure. of the word, you know, Metallica or like, <laughs> you know, ride the lightning, you know, uh, uh, like uh, amusement park ride right. has been shut down by Metallica. Like they were, they, and I think the Rolling Stones were like the most litigious bands. That's of interesting. <clears throat> it's, so it's, he was like yeah. an easy villain and it was also like, it felt antiquated and old. And it also felt like it was, you know, Nobody there really understood technology and it was a bloated business and it wasn't run by, you know, forward thinking individuals. I think TV is a little different. I think movies are a little different. You see it with streaming services now. Yeah. They've dealt with it in a different way. But like it it was at a time when the music business died. Yeah, it's it's sort of hard to kind of, you know, for our listeners that that are younger and maybe don't remember sort of this yeah. seismic shift in the music industry because they were so slow on the uptake. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I was slow to jump on the kind of file sharing bandwagon. If I'm being honest, I kind of, I, I was one of those people that kept buying music pretty deep into the, at a certain point, I was like, this is crazy, but it's just sort of really hard to kind of articulate how they thought they could sue their way. Like it was so old school yeah. dinosaurs at the top of these food chains that just didn't seem to get it. The reason they thought they could do it was because. They were right. <laughs> they were they were right. Like, excuse me. I, I it's it's hard for me to kind of not be a little sympathetic to people who are putting out a piece of intellectual property, have it taken without any compensation, yeah. and then say like the bad guys are the ones who are protecting their artists and their intellectual property and their profits. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I get that they were slow. I wasn't right. vilifying like, them. Just to no, I know. Good. I get that they were slow, and I get <clears> that like that that. They should, you know, they should have foreseen what happened. But I also think, like, is this really a terrible approach to say I didn't expect? And again, I stole, I stole, I, I stole, <laughs> stole, downloaded. Yeah. I was on Napster from, you know, 
I was on the AOL job. downloading shit in the 90s, right? LimeWire, baby. So, yeah. Shout out to LimeWire. R.I.P. LimeWire. Just get viruses after viruses after viruses. But I was down, no, I was downloading like, like yeah. three minute songs and it took 45 sure. minutes. Yeah. So I'm as guilty as anybody, but I didn't think, they didn't expect like what amounts to mass criminality. Yeah. By the entire world. Like that, I, that actually does surprise me to some extent how, how it was almost like, um, underage drinking. Yeah. Where everyone's doing it. Yeah. No one yeah, really but cared. I, just, I remember them going after, I mean, and it was just to like, to make a lawsuit that would make a statement. Like I remember doing stories about kids in university of Iowa got hit with one of these lawsuits. And then, it, uh, is that right? Was it university of Iowa or university of Indiana? It was university of Indiana at Bloomington. And then there was another one in a guy in long Island. I just remember doing the story and he was hit with like a $800 million or $1.2 billion lawsuit because the way that the law was structured was that if you had turned your computer into a hub for file sharing, um, you were responsible for all of the files that passed through your computer. So a couple kids in a couple dorm rooms were like suddenly looking down the barrel of, I mean, they, I mean, who had the money to fight it in terms of attorney fees? It was just, you know, the RIAA, which was the Recording Industry Association of America, which was the lobbying group on behalf of, of all of these bands and all of these musical acts, you know, wanted to intimidate kids. You had a moment literally where the head of the RIAA and the Grammys I think it was maybe 2003, 2004, said, I want to see file sharers in handcuffs. Actual fucking quote. And I remember watching that and I was like, this business is not going to hold if the people who are making the thing say, we want to see our consumers locked up or our potential consumers or fans of this stuff locked up. So that is, again, why I'm like, something is not working something is dysfunctional there but wait i be, before we like get too down into the weeds <laughs> on like metallic and file sharing i think this is a good time to kind of like stick a plant uh plant a flag and basically say this is why some kind of monster is a great music documentary mm-hmm. and why mm-hmm. buena vista social club is a concert documentary and not a great music documentary is because i think some kind of monster you get into all of these things right you get into the systemic serial conflict that is existing in the music business and where Metallica is at that time through the character of Lars Ulrich, right? Like he's selling Basquiat's because Mm -hmm. he feels like he has to in order to cover the spread because he's not selling as many albums anymore. A ridiculous thing and an unsympathetic. Yeah. Hard to feel sorry for that guy. It's hard to feel sorry for that guy, but also at the same time, you're sort of like, oh, wow, this is the largesse. This is the excess. Mm -hmm. This is the rock star lifestyle. This is one of the things that has polluted these people to the point where, you know, you know, uh, James Hetfield is out like drinking himself to death and hunting Mm -hmm. bears. And like, you know, you get a sense of the players and the place. In a very interesting way, but it's also very relatable, right? Like mm-hmm. that's th- that's a movie about is this band, which is one of the biggest bands in the world, are they going to be able to continue and can they continue um, by going through this process of therapy? And like, you know, all of the things, even the therapist being like, you know, you guys should write one of my songs. Yeah. Like you're like, of course, you guys can only rely on each other. And it's this incestuous fucking vacuum that you this is why bands break up all the time. Great music documentary. Buena Vista Social Club has None of that. There is a version of the movie. Just to pitch against Vim vendors and who the fuck am I? Well, I'm a guy on the podcast, Vim. I'm a guy on a podcast. (laughs) Yeah. The movie, what they did was, you know, Ry Cooter flies to Havana for Mm -hmm. three days, 
three days under embargo, right? Where the only camera that you can get in is like a Sony PC 100 mini DV camera, mm-hmm. you know, and, and like, uh, and by the way, shout out to uh, the Steadicam operator because the Steadicam operator is the unsung fucking hero of all of the Cuba shots. So you get a Steadicam, you get a camera that's like the size of a 16 ounce coffee cup, which I just say because I'm holding, holding one right now. Yeah. And audio equipment to record for three days, like the most extraordinary musicians in Cuba that no one has ever seen or heard from, you know, that are doing things like, you know, in Ruben Gonzalez's situation, has not played a piano in two years. And it's, can you make an album in three days? Yeah. None of that tension gets expressed. Yeah. You're also, that tension, you're also the tension of making the documentary on a certain level too. Like we should have had a sense of what it was like to make these pieces of art that they were making. Instead, all that tension is, is stripped away. And instead it's just a very kind-hearted movie where we learn about the backstories of these musicians and their stories are beautiful i'm not taking anything away from that but their stories are fine well then their stories are fine like it's become interstitial to the performance yes which is what makes it a concert film yes there's no narrative so i think that's the big difference between a concert (laughs) a concert film and a music documentary is the narrative. I think that's 100% right. And I think you, I mean, I'm really just, just piggybacking on your point, but that, that is in the beginning how it feels different to me. Um, and now, but you know, then Last Waltz, for instance, right? When you guys haven't done your fives, yeah. but Last, Last Waltz, Waltz is instance, also on my five. It's kind of both, right? I've never like, seen it. Oh, I know. I know. Film. I know. I haven't seen a lot of, I, well, I preface this by saying I haven't seen a lot of music documentaries. You'll love The Last Waltz. I'm sure I will. <laughs> Confession time. Should I just go? Should I just leave my own podcast? Yeah, maybe. I mean, <laughs> it might be one. That, that, that's, yeah. that to me is, that's the perfect blend. Is that one right there? <clears throat> it, it's, I mean, I know what it's about, but, but you uh, get, you get, you get a story, which is this is the end of the line for yeah. a bunch of guys. And, you know, looking back and reconciling what life is going to be next mm-hmm. in between sort of this, you know, this concert footage. But it's I amazing. It's, it's amazing. But it, I mean, it, and it does, as I said, I have not seen it, but it's clear to me that from what you guys are saying that it succeeds at what this film is attempting to do. I think that's correct. Okay. You know what it reminds Because <sighs> there's context. And I think, I think that what's great about that is the whole thing is set up of like, you're watching a bunch of people say goodbye to each other. Yeah. You know? So you, you kind of understand on a very basic level, like what the narrative is. Like these guys are going to go their separate ways at the end of this. Right. They've made a conscious decision to kind of go out on as close to the top as they're going to get. And, you know, uh, there's no context that is given in the same way to, you know, look, Ry Cooter came down here and, you know, we had an emergency three day recording session to catch these guys mm-hmm. because that's about the length of time that, you know, and that's about the, the footprint that we could have made, you know, the filmmakers I'm saying as, as a collective way in Cuba at the time, um, all that context is stripped away. And, you know, very much in Vim Vendor's directing style, which is very, you know, catch the ambient sense of a place, you know, it, it, that movie reminds me so much of, um, of, of heaven over Berlin or, um, what is it? Uh, no, city, uh, uh, city of angels wings, wings, of wings of desire. desire. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, yeah. City of angels is city of angels. Is the American, American, American remake. remake. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'll do mine just for what it's worth. Again, have not seen a lot of them. I'm just putting that out there. Um, I liked, I don't know if this really counts. I mean, maybe it doesn't, but like, I, I thought the, um, oh my God, 
why can't I think uh, the Burns documentary on jazz, the series? Oh yeah, sure, sure. absolutely. I thought about putting that. Yeah, that's yeah. great. I mean, yeah. that was. I mean, it's kind of different, but whatever. Uh, I liked Cameron Crowe's Pearl Jam documentary that came okay. out a couple years ago. PG twenty. PG twenty. PG twenty. So what is PG twenty? Yeah, it's just twenty years of Pearl Jam, and it's just sort of it. it, it's it's an interesting. I mean. He's clearly he knows the guy, so it has yeah. that sort of very familial quality, which is nice. You don't generally speaking see that kind of relationship. Um, yeah, I guess Citizen Dick in singles. Citizen Dick, they were. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked it. Might get loud as yeah, well. Sure. Uh, Montage of Heck, also really loved, and Give Me Shelter. I think yeah, a, never seen it. Really, really? Yeah, no, that's no, surprising. I, yeah, that. Uh, that I'm upset about having never seen it. <laughs> So in a weird way, I'll go ahead and I'll say that Gimme Shelter to me is yeah. a concert movie and concert. not a music documentary, it right? Because it's all about Altamont and kind of it, it's really I mean that's what it's known for yeah. is is for this this incident obviously that happened where the Hell's Angels killed a couple people at the yeah. Altamont. Yeah, killed one person. One person. But, um and the documentary for all intents and purposes is is about more than that, right. but it's kind of known for that. So, what are yours? Okay, so my top five are I, I had a tough time putting it in a particular order, although I think Last Waltz for a bunch of reasons is just a deeply personal movie to me because there was just a time in my life when whenever I felt bad, I would watch that movie. Yeah, I'd watch with f- college friends late at night, drunk or high, like three o'clock, four o'clock, come home, put it on background. It was there was a yeah. period in, there was a period in like our college experience where that was always on. Yeah, I feel like Especially for guys, it's a very like guys processing change movie. Yeah. So like in a you know you're watching Robbie Robertson and Rick Danko and to a lesser extent like Levon Helm and like there's such you know when you know where this band goes after you know when you know the like hole that you know Rick Danko falls down mm-hmm. you know the suicide within the group when you when you like the the acrimony that comes between Levon Helm and Robbie Robertson like there's there's such a sense of kind of. Um, loss and letting go in such an elegant way that I think like you learn something from that movie. Um, but yeah, so love the last waltz period, full stop. I just put it at number one because I have an affection for it. Um, in no other, um, particular order, let's get lost, which is Bruce Weber, uh, his documentary about Chet Baker, the uh, trumpetist Mm -hmm, and singer, Um, funny Valentine. My funny Valentine. Let's get lost. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but not for me. Uh, the entire soundtrack of uh, the talented Mr. Ripley. Yep. Um, <laughs> he was uh, at the end of it. So Bruce Weber is sort of famously a fashion documentary, uh, a fashion photographer. You know, took a lot of iconic, iconic fashion spreads in the eighties and early nineties, and sat down with a camera at the end of Chet Baker's life when Chet had was deeply addicted to heroin uh had broken his jaw after getting jumped um at a club one time so it fucked up his i believe it's called embouche is what it is when you when you blow a trumpet so his ability to blow a trumpet was sort of lost and you see this guy who is coping with um drugs and inferiority complex because i think he always knew compared to Miles Davis and John Coltrane um, and, you know, early artists like Art Tatum. Mm -hmm. Like, he was, number one, white, you know, number two, inferior um, in so many ways, and yet more popular and more successful. And just the way that 
he was marketed in the 1950s and 1960s as jazz because he was the white act. Um, and then processing that and the way that he processed that and, you know, it deeply affected him because he played with so many great black musicians. Um, and you know, and then just the heroin and just the loss. And it's a really interesting portrait of, you know, uh, it's like a dark mirror to some of these guys in, uh, Buena Vista social club, you know, cause you're catching him sort of at the end. Uh, Let's see. Uh, number three, I, some kind of monster I think is great um, because I'm in it. Mm-hmm. Really, just because <laughs> I make wh- all that's of why these it's cameos. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you know has nothing to do with this exceptional look at um, largesse in rock and roll. And it was kind of a split decision between that and the decline of Western civilization. Yeah, yeah I was Especially, reading about that online. I have not seen it, but everyone was raving about that as well. So Penelope Spheris. Famous Wayne's comedy. World. Yeah, Wayne's World. Famous mm-hmm. director. Um, so she did, the, especially the second installment of that, which is a lot the more. The metal, right? The metal one. Yeah. The first is punk. And- the first is punk and is great because it's like this great like LA in the 80s, like mm-hmm. Black Flag and X and, you know, all of that scene. Um, the second one is more of interesting to me in a weird way mm-hmm. because it's like all of, it's just, you know, you're, you're just watching the kind of corruption of the music business, which, mm-hmm. um, I think you get in similar amounts in some kind of monster. Um, and yeah, just lovely, just great doc, you know, Sanofsky and Berlinger, I think are some of the mm-hmm. best documentarians yeah. or were, yeah. um, uh, did you like Kurt and Courtney? I liked Kurt and Courtney, but that's I, Bloomfield. Is yeah. That that's Nick, Nick, Nick. Is that it? Bloomfield? Bloomfield? Broomfield? I don't know. Broomfield? I think it's Broomfield. He's an interesting guy. He's an interesting guy. He yeah. is. Yeah, he really is. He's like, uh, it's 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 almost hard to take anything he does at face value. Yeah. But that movie is as much about him, you know, yeah. and they like getting El yeah. Duce and like, yeah. Yeah. you know, having this point of view that like he's there to solve the mystery. And, you know, Berlinger and Sanofsky, who, I mean, they've made two of my other favorite documentaries of all time, one mm-hmm. which is Brothers Keeper, which mm-hmm. is one of the best true crime documentaries ever done. Mm-hmm. And then the other is the West Memphis Three yeah, Paradise document, Lost. Paradise Lost. Yeah. Um, what I think is interesting about music documentaries versus other documentaries, yeah. we'll just say, put it that way, is that they don't, generally speaking, have, and forgive this, but like an axe to grind. They don't have something to necessarily a grand statement if you will like right. it, it it's it's that they're they're a, a exploration of a band or of a musician and their art form and i think that there's something really pure about that on a certain level and something really nice about sort of just diving into this group of people and how they make what they make yeah i don't mean to be overly simplistic about it but it's something that i think I like about music documentaries and it's why Kurt and Courtney sort of stands out and, and things like that, where it's like they try to sort of inject their own sort of ideas or right. what really happened or, you know, there, there isn't a sense of, of mystery. I'll or, push or back on okay. that. Okay. Um, well, you're a documentarian. So was in a past life, in a past yeah. life, I made a lot of episodes of true life. <laughs> I will, uh, I will do my best to do my link to get my layman's version and you can, uh, correct me where I'm wrong. Okay. But my and understanding, where I'm wrong. And, and I, all right. So I am not a documentarian and the closest is I used to work on intervention, the reality show. Yeah, sure. So there's a similarity to that. I think those are mini documentaries, right? Yeah. And we basically just went into those episodes. We knew our subject. We knew what they were right. struggling with. We knew the people in their lives and we kind of knew what we were going for. Mm-hmm. But whatever story was there was a story we followed. Okay. Right. Um, and if the story was one that spoke to, addiction or abuse or uh whatever it is that's where we went so some kind of monster for instance is about all these things 
they didn't know going into that that, that was going to be about. You see, I love it. The the, re, the reason I love it is because I was in bands in high school and college, and it's the first and kind of only music documentary that actually gets to the core of how a band is like a marriage. Right. Right. And how so many bands break up for the same reasons marriage, marriages break up. But then you put money into it and fame and you have this necessary, this necessary thing where the lead singer is, is usually more popular in Metallica. There's this very weird dynamic with Lars. Yeah. Where he's taken up so much of the air, like the kind of air that a drummer never does. I think it puts James Hetfield in an interesting spot. Right. Mm-hmm. So whatever that each band is its own unique animal, but they didn't know they were going to go for psychotherapy. Yeah, right, that happened over the course of this. It's a very unusual road it oh, took. That's interesting. They didn't and even know if they were going to stick together. I think that's what the, I think that's yeah. what the documentarians thought they were going after. Right? They just had a kind of bad album. Yeah, and or kind of like like a, a lower point. Yeah, and this some, some kind of mon- like that's that that album is not particularly good either. The album that right. came off of this uh, documentary, but yeah, I think they they thought they were catching a band in decline, and they went and did some really interesting things to keep themselves together whatever only point i'm making is a good documentarian tells the story that's presented to them and tells it in a way that makes an argument like any other film yeah. you know about their worldview and i think what to, to some extent what you're saying gideon about when if it's a social club is it missed the story it did well so okay so it, i have this whole, the narrative i also I just want to be clear that i wasn't taking anything away from music documentaries i was no. actually saying that that's one of the things i love about music documentaries is to your point that it is about sort of seeing what transpires well, but but i guess what i'm saying is that a lot of documentarians or or people that set out to make a documentary yeah. about a grander issue of some sort are going in with some sort of preconceived notion and maybe there that can change and it's a fluid organism sort of thing but i think with a band it's or a you know an artist it's a little different that's all I'm saying. no and i think you're you're first of all I think you're totally onto something and I'll, I'll give you an anecdote. So um, <clears throat> I was in my twenties. I was in my very early twenties <clears throat> when this movie came out. I was in my very early twenties when I started making documentaries and, you know, teen stuff and like, what are some a, of the episodes of true life? You made true life. To- I live in Iraq. True life. I have embarrassing parents. True life. I live in the West bank. True life. Uh, I have embarrassing parents. Yeah. Like, I mean, most of the true lives that I had a true life. <laughs> I, I got, I, I don't, somehow I got rejected for that like, one. I don't know. There was a lot of like, we did, you know, true life. I'm on the election trail, true life. I'm running for Congress. Like all of these ones that were, um, much more like political and pro social. Sure. I ended up, I, mean, I did a couple drug ones, true life. I'm on Oxycontin. Jeez. Um, I, there, so, okay. So yeah, look, the, um, the point of this is that at that time period, in the late nineties, like right now it's a, it's almost a really interesting thing. Like there's a lot, I meet all of these young people who say, I want to be a documentarian. And in the late nineties, that was a crazy thing to say. Um, documentary film, reality television, which is, I think a subset of documentary film intervention all the way to the bachelor was not even broadly part of the cultural landscape, right? Survivor didn't really come out until 2000. It it wasn't, I mean, there was the real world and the real world things like when did the real world start in in 1991, 92. And I mean, I would include things like cops and like, yeah, a lot of this Fox stuff, world's stupidest pets or whatever. Like a lot of this stuff existed, but yes. So I went, I remember going to see Errol Morris, um, give a speech after fast, cheap and out of control. And Errol Morris 
you know, it said a film, not a documentary by Errol Morris. And Errol Morris was one of a handful of filmmakers, you know, maybe the Maisel's brothers, maybe, uh, you know, Berlinger and Sanofsky, maybe, um, you know, Chris Hedges, like, but there was maybe five or 10, you know, and, uh, obviously Michael, Michael Moore, Moore yeah. you know, uh, people who would say we were documentarians and they knew they were never going to be able to distribute their movie. They were never able to put asses in seats if they framed it as anything but a film by. Roger and Me is a film by Michael Moore. You know, Fast, Cheap, and Out of Control is a film by Errol Moore. So the term documentary turned people off. So the off. term documentary turned people off because right. I think there was an expectation that there was no narrative. And these great American documentarians all realized we can't do what Vin Vendors did in Buena Vista Social Club. We have to do what, exactly what you're talking about in Intervention and exactly what works so great in Some Kind of Monster, which is put the audience in their chair – Wondering, number one, what's going to happen next, yeah. right? Classic storytelling. Where is this going to go? And number two, oh, my God, I can't believe this is real, right? I can't believe these are the actual people that's doing the, the actual one. things. Yeah. And that's a bit like fishing, right? Like you can't – that's the jazz quality, I think, to something like a documentary sure. that is so exciting and that, that I miss a lot of the time when I sit around and I'm working and we you know, drill down on a script until it's – you know totally set and been approved by studios and network alike. Like there is a uh, spontaneous quality that, you know, you can capture that Vim vendors does not seem interested in capturing the spontaneity of, Oh my God process. We're making an album was just my pitch of, okay, well maybe that's how you repair the movie, but there's no spont. Yeah. There's, you know, well, there's no, there's no, it's, Weirdly, there's no kind of electricity to it, and any momentum that it gets. Well, there's no electricity in Havana at the time. So, but but I I, I and, and actually Ebert says it in his review, which is that every time you get to the concert, it's it's punctuated, and any sort of propulsion that you get out of the concert footage is lost by the interviews. Yeah, it it creates this very antithetical quality. While you were talking, I was also thinking about how. Uh, right around this time, you have Blair Witch, and right. you have the found footage movie, which kind of turns all this on its head as well. This idea that people are longing for this idea of, of I guess, truth or realism or something to that effect, but not really because they want it to be heightened with it, 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 from their reality television as well. Yeah. It's all very kind of weirdly kind of all in this stew at this time, it feels like. Yeah, I, well, I think it comes, well, look, I mean, you know, I think it was technological in a weird way because you had the beginning of mini DV digital yep. filmmaking, right? Mm -hmm. Like Dogma 95 comes out, yep. you know, and so already you have, you know, world filmmakers saying, okay, we're just going to like lean to these new devices, which are nimble and cheap. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Basically, from that time period until the advent of the red camera, somewhere around 2006, 2007, yeah. every piece of reality television, every documentary gets shot on mm -hmm. one chip or three chip mini DV, which are cheap and destructible and look great. And with the right sound equipment, as you can see in this movie, get great audio. Yeah. And it changes everything it changes the look of everything suddenly you're doing blair witch suddenly you're doing like reality television okay. suddenly you know there's that moment in um boogie nights right where they talk about the shift from film yeah, to video yeah. and i think there was an equivalent shift from video to digital video yeah. and you know 
Uh, and, and people don't talk about that distinction a lot. Like yeah. people talk, I mean, one of the things in this film, I, I don't think this film looks particularly great. Like I think it's no. fine. Um, I, I didn't really love the bleached out quality that was intentional in the, in the, in the concert footage, but it just made, it just, it just didn't work for me. But it's interesting that, you know, when you look at video cassette or, you know, shooting right. video in the, it looked like real shit. I mean, right. that stuff was, was, not even close to being able to put that in a, in a movie theater. And then you have this, and a lot of people talk about, you know, um, Michael Mann with, uh, uh, public enemies or collateral or where he really pushes video to its brink at the time. And at the time, I remember thinking, Oh, this looks like crap. Now I actually think those movies are really beautiful. Like there's something about the reevaluation of digital video that I yeah. think is really interesting. Well, so it was about frame rate. Yeah. Um, like just to be perfectly honest is, you know, when you shoot video, it shoots at 30 frames per second. When you shoot film, it shoots at 24 frames per second. And there's just a look to film that you're used to looks different from video, right? What digital video you could do and what we did in the early days before you, you had cameras that could shoot at 24 was you would put a black, um, you would have, you know, your editor run a, a a black still every 10 things and it would slow it down and it would look like you were doing 24 (laughs) frames per second and suddenly with this cheap camera you got something that looked like cinema that felt cinematic Mm -hmm. and that was the big hack it was like a filter on instagram (laughs) that like everybody was suddenly running and suddenly it elevated the medium as as a whole interesting i mean i think that to talk about vim vendors for a second because i do think he's an interesting filmmaker i mean i i think wings of desire is a beautiful movie i think he's got a very kind of lyrical dreamlike qualities to his films that I think are very pretty. Yeah. But ultimately he really only has two movies that anybody really talks about, which is Wings of Desire and Paris, Paris Texas. Texas. Mm-hmm. Those are the, really the only two. Cause I kind of went through his filmography and it's, and it's interesting cause he really, yeah, it's a bunch of shit. I don't know. Yeah. He just, he, <laughs> <laughs> except for those two. Yeah. Those but are the two. Right. Yeah, well, cause those yeah. are back to back. He does Paris, Texas so and then he does and 87, yeah, right? Yeah. Well, those are the two. Yeah. And, and, and essentially he does Paris, Texas. He kind of, Gets on the map with that yeah. movie. Uh, it does very well at Cannes, if I'm not mistaken. Nice. And then, and then Wings of Desire comes out, which again, really beautiful film. Um, but he's just never really able to capitalize it after that. Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting. In the Enter- Entertainment Weekly review, they start by saying, in the decades since Wings of Desire, director Vin Benders has been floating on angel wings of irrelevance. And oh. So, and so it's refreshing, <laughs> it's refreshing to see him make a movie like Buena Vista Social Club. They gave it a B minus, but it is, it's true. Like, Vim just never really gets there. Yeah. And, and, they and gave it a B minus. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, people were harder on this movie than I, than I expected. Because the Rotten Tomatoes is, is 91%. Is 91 and, and audiences, says, yeah. yeah, and audiences of 90. Like at the time, it was just known as a great movie. Why? So why was it a great movie? All right. So what I was, <laughs> when I sat down and tried to, tried to grab on. Yeah. 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 Uh, a look at Cuba when no one had sure. a look of Cuba. I think that's right. That was a big moment, I think, mm-hmm. for at least American audiences to kind of see this. For me, it was – it's essentially 1959 here, yeah. right? Yeah. Like it, Frozen in time. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, the, 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 the dumpster-like quality of everything ground level contrasted with like the, you know, kind of the, the – the elite facade of everything that was built before the revolution. Right. You know, like them doing gymnastics or fencing in these like beautiful buildings that are also kind of dilapidated. That is a bit of a, that does have a bit of a, can you believe it quality? Right. Right. So I think there's something to that, which has nothing to do with the music, more to do with Cuba. 
right. think some people convince themselves that this music is really good. I don't think the music is really good. Um, no, I think the music. I think the music is fundamentally amazing. That's great. I mean, um, it doesn't. Ruben Gonzalez. I, I play the piano. Ruben Gonzalez is a fucking gangster. That's awesome. Like, there's no. <laughs> it does nothing. It does nothing for me. <laughs> but it was fine. Yeah. But like, uh, I feel like I've seen it done a, a million times by better people. But um, whatever. You know, like I think that that I'm sure people love the music. I didn't. I uh, yeah. And I, this goes back to okay. So I think we said something off mic earlier, which is my theory about this movie. Yes. yes, the success. I think that there's a portion of the movie that is is beloved because I think you had insight into Cuba, which I think if you are Cuban American uh, or uh, Cuban in particular, um, is you know. Uh, something to be incredibly fascinated by, proud of. People weren't really making movies about Cuba or from there. And then afterwards, suddenly there's this explosion, right? Like there's Before mm-hmm. Nightfalls and all this other stuff. And Well, you know, I mean, for Cuban- It's at a time where like you're going to normalize stuff, right? But I think this is all about boomers. I think 90% of the affection for this movie mm-hmm. and the affection for the soundtrack right. is a bunch of like- fascist leaning but are not aware of it yet mm-hmm. um you know boomers who are like longing for a pre-castro cuba and like uh looking nostalgically back towards the past which is where they're going to drag the entirety of the world over the next 25 years and like it's they're depressing. yeah oh, they're agree. getting promised it in this movie yeah it's like oh you know my bullshit life you know being a fucking trial lawyer in wichita kansas you know but really in my heart in my soul like oh it would have been so much better if i was just on a beach in havana yeah. i can go to the cup smoking cigars. Yeah, yeah. smoking cigars and yeah. drinking consomme with compai segundo <laughs> <laughs> i mean there that i totally agree with that uh i it, it does feel wistful yeah which i, I don't feel that well Okay. I don't like, I think the, the, the movie is, feels like it's looking back at a time even I mean I all these interstitial he, bits are are even their stories are kind of wistful. Right, when even was the Cuban Revolution? 1950s. 56, all right. 56, I don't think boomers remember it. Right? Like I think that I think boomers remember Godfather 2. Right. But, <laughs> but I'm not even kidding. I yeah, think that yeah. place to me that's Sure. Pre-Castro Cubo, Godfather 2. Sure, but I think it's like their version of like if what their you were did. if you were Gen Xers in the way that you kind of fetishized the 70s even though you didn't really live through it in the 1990s. So I, I think it was just like a moment in time that for them felt rich and romantic and sexy even though they had no context God, to it. Sad. So all right, so there's this I just idea think they're of- like consumers. I think if there's one thing that you can define the boomers by, it's people who curate lifestyle and are consumers. And I think right. this was a curated lifestyle consumer experience and no different than you know buying a world music you know cd in the front of a starbucks mm-hmm. you know and being like hmm java hmm sumatra blend yes this is <laughs> like this shows that i have sophistication i'm worldly yeah. i have yeah. sophistication and taste i can pay more money for it and it's going to somehow excuse the fact that you know i don't know we're deleveraging the banks and slowly getting into an american expansionist policy worldwide but you know, I hate the boomers too. Stephen Stephen King has my favorite quote about them. They said, "Our generation could have saved the world. Instead, we created the Home Shopping Network, which is exactly who they are." So that feels right. I, I'm with you. Right. My I, like, and Ry Cooter is like a boomer fantasy, right? Like you're yeah. literally on a motorcycle, like yeah, wearing a loud orange shirt with your son 
wordlessly riding sidecar next to you. You know, (laughs) I mean, Ebert says it in his review. It's, it's so, it, it it loves Rye so much. These guys on the stage are constantly looking at him like a teacher that they want sort of approval. There's this, the movie's constantly kind of checking in with him to be like, how are we doing? How are we? It's just, it's not, it's a strange well, dynamic. Well, I mean, I don't want to take anything over away because I think he's a genuinely good guy. Yeah, I think he's he one of these people that like yeah. went, you know, around the world in love of music and capturing great musicians yeah. in their element and preserving it. I think he's got more in common with um, you know, I think he's the actual documentarian here, right? Like yeah. he's just like right. uh, you know, those WPA guys like getting, you know, Appalachian music down in the 1930s or 40s. Yeah. Um I think it's Vim Vender's positioning of him or Vim Vender's yes, look yes. at him that is the mistake. Mm-hmm. I think that's the myth. What do you call that? Um, hegemony. Hegemony. I don't even know what the word is. Whatever it is. <laughs> uh, hegeography. The hegeography. Uh, oh, the hege- sure. Uh, yeah. All right. I want to go back to the point about the boomers yes, and okay. Havana. Um, I think there's this thing that happens in every generation. It's happening very profoundly right now. Where we are, where I think we're all more or less old millennial, young Gen X, whatever we are. We're cuspy people, right? We were promised something and we're not getting that, right? We were implicitly promised to do 10% better than our parents, like every generation before us. And we were, we were promised our homes and our, our dogs and our cars and all that shit. And we're finding it very hard. That's us. I think that there might be something in the idea that boomers thought that they were promised their week in Havana. Right. Right. Like, like their parents had. I'm talking about not necessarily everybody's parents, but the aspirational right. idea was I'm going to make money. I'm going to spend my week in Havana and that doesn't exist anymore. Right. So I think there might be a little bit of nostalgia wistfulness for that. I didn't get it in the movie. What I felt no, like, I what I felt like the movie was saying was look at what communism has done to this place. Right. And look how communism has, has, Level the playing field that even the, the, what do they call it? the Nat King Cole of Cuba right. lives in a one room shack with bugs on his walls. Right, right. I, I, that's what it felt like to me. And, uh, I don't really want to make a comment on that comment, but I, th- I think that's that reassurance that those boomers also wanted that deleveraging the banks and, you know, uh, mm-hmm. creating a home shopping network. We're doing the right thing. Here. But I, you know, I drop again, I'm going to drop the blame firmly on Vim Vendors' feet, right? Cause here you have a guy who's a West German guy who grew up in a country that itself was divided by communism. Mm-hmm. The wall had fallen and he had seen very, very well, you know, in the reunification of his own country, what communism that, that preserved an amber quality, you know, that you see in Cuba was very much what it was like sure. in, in, in East wall, Germany yeah. at the, at the time. My mom's from Germany. Full disclosure, and you know, I remember going to Berlin immediately after the wall came down to go like visit relatives and see what was on the other side, and it was very much like that, right? Like there were still bullet holes in the walls um, from World War II. There could have been more of a point of view to say one of the reasons. Again, this goes back to the context, right? Like why is Laxwalt's great? Well, you have context that these guys really lost their audience lost their global audience. They should have been as big as Nat King Cole. They should have had, you know, um, the, you know, they talk about, you know, Ruben Gonzalez playing in Mexico and, you know, uh, all over the Caribbean. And then once the embargo went up, once, you know, 
you know, uh, whatever you call it, the sugarcane curtain was up, you know, these guys were denied the ability to make a livelihood. And that is about as far as the film goes in terms of saying anything political. It's just a celebration. I think that's why I said, I think it's an act of diplomacy because it's really just like, Hey, look what your neighbor has been doing for the yeah, last yeah. 40 or 50 years, but they were denied that. Um, then I, I want to extend this point to the end of the movie. Sure. Which I loved. Um, and it reminded me of and that Shyamalan's The Village. Okay. Because you essentially have of these – Of course. Pe- well, it does. No, I, no, I'm, I'm not exa- saying it no, does. No. <laughs> it's the like, same exact idea. You Rye Cooter has been a ghost the entire Rye time. Cooter, Rye <laughs> Cooter. Um, have you seen The Village? <laughs> <laughs> you mean that they've been yeah. – I, I understand the, the, yeah. the connection. Uh, yeah. So basically – it seems in the end of the day, and I, again, like we can talk politics, but it seems like a very simplistic statement, which is capitalism is better. Um, and you think that's what the movies, I think it's v- very simplistically, right? Cause very in New York and evidently yeah, this, yeah. And they're not even saying there, there's no negative commentary whatsoever. And it's not even just like observations and descriptions. Mm-hmm. It's judgments. This is beautiful. You hear right. this is beautiful from five, four or five yeah, different yeah. people. All they want to do is play Carnegie over Hall. Over. Yeah. yeah. And buy like souvenirs. And go to the top of the Empire State yeah. Building and point out the Statue yeah. of Liberty and walk down right. Fifth Avenue and say, look at these boring looking buildings that you and I wouldn't even acknowledge and say, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. It's kind of patronizing to these people. Well, it's what actually happened. No, no, I know. But, but yes, the like, framing yeah, is, pa- yeah, it right. is a little patronizing and it is to me reminiscent of the village. Cause I don't right. think that they really get any concept of what was around outside yeah. of, yeah. of, yeah. of Cuba. So to me in that way, like that's an interesting kind of twist reveal. Right. But it does bring this ideologically brings this film down in a really weird way. Like I could, I could just imagine, I love you, mom, dad, but my parents right. feeling like there's this revelatory quality to it, which is, Oh my God, they don't even understand a building can be taller than three stories. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, there are these, you know, not only was the Island stuck, you know, preserved in Amber, these men were preserved in Amber and right. sure. what, what we've done here. And I keep saying like, I don't want to get political because like, I don't necessarily like in my heart, like I don't necessarily like disagree with that take. Like I don't necessarily disagree that there, there is a, a, a tragedy to all of this. Huh? Um, yeah. It's hard. It's, it's a hard statement to make as someone who is, who, who is, who is socialist sympathize, someone who sympathize, sympathizes with socialism. Mm-hmm. I'm not a socialist, but I understand to some extent, like a, a pretty strong extent, like the value of, of being a little more of a socialist society, but also saying what happened in Cuba went too far. Right. I mean, yeah. And then this is, becomes the real check your privilege moment, right? Which is, are you, or are all of us right. essentially, you know, projecting our own value system of success or failure or our own value system in the way that the movie does, right? Because that's the movie's point of view. 100%. In the movie's point of view is if you're a musician, what you want is an audience and what you want is to play. And instead, like you have in, you know, the form of Ibrahim Ferrer and in the form of Kampai Seguro and, and, uh, Omar, uh, Omar Port. Duano, is that mm-hmm. her name? I believe so, yeah. Um, you know, these 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 people who just play and just sing and just naturally music is integrated in their life in a normal way, and that's fine. Um, I think the only thing that, like, felt to me like maybe that might not be the case, you know, may, maybe, maybe the projection is somewhat 
valuable is the moment when they go to Ruben Gonzalez and you find out that Ruben Gonzalez hasn't played a piano in two years. Mm -hmm. And that to me was a big hanging question because that guy is so good and so amazing. And if you watch, I mean, this is just a technical thing from when he's practicing alone in what turns out to be like a children's gymnastics and, and like ballet Mm -hmm. hall. And then you see him at Carnegie hall when you have him down in front of a quarter million dollar, you know, Steinway model C or whatever the fuck it is that he's playing. Like. Even on a budget quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. To deny someone their instrument, you know, for that long of a period of time when they're that good is to deny them the means of expression. And, and, you know, he can't just sing in the street. That's a guy who actually needs a thing. And so that's where I kind of wonder, well, that to me is at least an inherent personal tragedy, which I can kind of wrap my head around and and totally get. It just, it, all of this, um, I mean, first of all, is is the reason why we do this podcast, because I love um, sort of unpacking all of this stuff. But I just wish that I felt a lot more of this as I was watching the movie. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is all just stuff that feels like either they didn't want to talk about it and it felt like they didn't really want to talk about the politics of it. Yeah. Of sort of what was going on down there, which I feel does a disservice a little bit to to really what this film could be. I think that's not necessarily a problem. Okay. There are ways to evoke the political situation without going. Okay. Yeah. We'll see him head towards it. Just, but I, 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 I don't disagree with that yeah. necessarily. It just feels like they didn't really touch it at all. Yeah. I'll say one thing in the film's defense. 99% of musical music documentaries, particularly ones from the 90s forward, mm-hmm. use a lot of archival footage. It's true. There is no archival footage of these people. So they were right. – They were maybe there was, but I'm sure they couldn't get their hands on it, right? right. So they were hamstrung from mm. the start in okay. that way. Would, okay. So I'm going to then go – this is a good pivot to go to my last two great music docs because they are largely archival docs. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, when we say what makes a great music documentary, the reason that archival helps is because it helps you establish a narrative. Mm-hmm. If you aren't in real time like some kind of monster watching a band – walk a tightrope, you know, if you aren't in the case of the last waltz, giving a context to an iconic performance, like then you need to do this. And those are, um, a band called death, yep. which was a movie that was made, uh, four years ago, five years ago, about three brothers in Detroit, um, all black musicians, 
uh, at a time, you know, three years, four years after the MC5 and the Stooges came out, but one year, two years before the Ramones ever got into a like a, a recording studio and established punk rock and essentially made punk rock. And because they were black, Motown had no idea what the fuck to do with them. And the white music business had no idea what to do with them. And so all of their records and their legacy kind of sat in an attic for years. And it is as much a look at that band through archival footage and the stories of these brothers, you know, and animatics and animation and a lot of stuff that makes like uh, the Kurt Cobain documentary so good. But again, it gets into race appropriation, um, love innovation, and yeah. love and theft. Um, that documentary is so good. And that band is so good. Like I walked away from that like just jamming on their music that entire summer that that thing came out. And then the last one that I, I would put is also an archival documentary footage, but it's such an amazing character study really of mental illness, which is the devil and Daniel Johnston. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, I've seen that documentary and it's that is really powerful. That is incredibly powerful because you realize it's sort of music is outsider art. Music is folk art. And this idea of, um, you know, this really troubled guy, you know, a uh, really troubled guy with a ton of demons whose kind of only means of expression was to create. And that that becomes something that is, I think, fundamentally identifiable and, and human about him and, and is sort of, you know, uh, in this lo-fi stripped down way kind of made a saint in the city of Austin because of it. But to deal with him on a day to day basis, and I think this is, you know, is uh, sort of nightmarish. And um, it actually kind of makes me think about the other film you came on here for, Jesus' Son. Yeah, the, yeah, they have it's that's got a lot of the kind of like grunge glory. That's definitely a grunge movie. I would qualify Devil and Daniel Johnston as a, as a grunge movie, but yeah. that's a fabulous documentary. Yeah, it's really, really good. Um, yeah, it's, it's just. I guess it's one of those things where, um, as I was watching this, I just kept sort of envisioning a better movie. It feels like we all kind of were in our own mm -hmm. way of yeah. just sort of, and, and it's like the pieces are there. You know yeah. what I mean? Like there's, there's a great story to be told here. It's just kind of not told all that well. It's told sort of very glacially. Like it, it it's just told right. in a very kind of referential kind of way that, that makes it feel, um, there's just no very little kind of, Energy I to think it. it's this is a very judgy statement. Mm -hmm. I think it's about as bad as it possibly could be. <laughs> um, I like I, th I yeah, yeah, and yeah. It, it wasn't that bad. Yeah, yeah, right. Because because it's like you and, couldn't totally fuck this up you, on some level. The the yeah. the bones, this, the bones of this. Yeah, what what yeah. you're just what you're given to work with. It's hard to fuck it up. Yep. But like, there's really no more boring way than to just kind of point a camera, shoot, let the guys tell their stories. Very banal. Uh, yeah, I did yeah. like this is a dumb little anecdote, but I did this docu documentary that's like t 10 minute thing when I was 17 on this. I was in London. I did it on this rapper who was like this uh, up and coming rapper, never, never became anything. And it sucked. And it sucked because I did this exact thing it was like I just pointed the camera at him and let me right. tell him what he let, let him say yeah. whatever he was thinking about his life. Where did you come from? Where your influences, right. you know. Any interesting stories, shot him in vaguely interesting locations and had some stuff of him performing, uh, cut interstitial, whatever the interstitial was. I mean, I don't really know what was A, what was B. That's essentially what happened here. This is what anybody right. would have done. Yeah. Now I give credit to the fact that they actually did it. Right. Like I don't, I don't deny that there's, you know, 
value in being the ones who actually go to Cuba and doing the work. Sure. And recognizing right. that, you know what I mean? Like seeing a great story, yeah. seeing a, seeing something and being like, I want to capture this. Right. I, I respect that. And I think that that takes talent right. to a certain degree. And it's not to say that, that Finn Benders isn't talented because he is. It's just this feels and, – and lazy is the wrong word. It just feels misguided. It just yeah. feels like he applied the wrong sort of – structure onto it or the, or the wrong kind of lens. I think and he was expecting more. Maybe. I, I, yeah. I do. I just think yeah. he was expecting more. And this is, another- I don't know, man, that's some fucking weak shit. I've shot stuff in three days <laughs> that, you know, you can get some amazing stuff in three days. Yeah. You just kind of have to know how to coax it out of people. Yeah, and like, yeah, yeah. In a weird way, you're like a therapist, right? Like what you're right. looking for is reactions, right? You know, you're, you're, yeah. you've got your subject, you've got them in a moment. Right. It's a real and authentic moment, you know, and if they don't turn to the camera and offer it up of their own, you have to ask what's going through your mind right now. What are you looking at? What are you seeing? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? Right. And then you get these moments where you get authenticity and intimacy and presence. And there's really only one moment that I can think of that this movie has that's like that, which is where they record the song and then um, Rykuder corrals them all into the listening room where the soundboard is, right? And it's all these guys packed into this one tiny room listening to playback of what they've just recorded, right? It's the actual process. And you're looking at their faces being like, did we get that take? Was it right? Was it on? Nobody says a goddamn thing. But like the angle on shots that they capture to me is the most beautiful thing. And you can see the guys get really enthusiastic because it's the first time they have recorded Mm -hmm. in like 30 or 40 years. Like, yo, just... Peel him the yeah. fuck off and yeah. get him to talk. Like, that's what I want to hear from, yeah. you know, Eliades Ochoa or, you know, or, or Ruben Gonzalez or Ibrahim Ferrer. Tell me what's going through your mind that you just heard, like, what just happened there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, what were you listening for? You know, were in you- a weird way, the movie's not really all that interested in exploring the moment, if that makes any sense. Yeah. It's, it's really just looking backwards. It's just, it's a lot of, a lot of people talking about their backstories, which in and of itself is interesting, I guess, but it never feels like it's really capturing anything in its moment in a yeah. weird way. Well, they're I, in a I weird spot too. I'll give them a little more, I'll, I'll do a little more kind of, you know, lawyering on its behalf. Most music documents. Wait, didn't you call it an abject failure? It is an abject failure. It is an abject like failure. It's the Lionel Hutz of like. <laughs> I, I'm going to represent this a little better, Your Honor. I think it's the worst. I think My it's the worst it's going to be. I think it's the worst it's going to be. But I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying this. I'm trying to just set up how how much of a climb they had sure so um here's another here's another issue they had that, attempt to that, give it out of jail here's another, here's another attempt to give it out of jail because ultimately i did give it above 50 percent uh or above I mean, sort of the, but um here is the other thing that it had so no archival footage every other movie with the exception of i would say uh and this is a kind of speaks to that all right a band called death devil and daniel johnson not big public figures no, right not at all it's incumbent upon the documentary at that point to educate people about who these people are. Yeah. Right? So same thing for like Searching for Sugar Man, which I feel like was, you know, mm-hmm. similar not, not one of my top five, but similar-ish, like great music documentary. This movie, I mean, uh, Metallica, right. Don't Look Back, Last Waltz, you don't have to educate anybody about anything. Right. Truth or Dare, you don't have to, right. you know Homecoming. who those people, yeah. you know yeah. who yeah. Beyonce Homecoming, is. yes. Yeah. So you start with that. This movie had to educate. Yeah. Right. And had to educate without archival footage, 
which I think is a really big hill to climb. Now, yeah. I don't necessarily know how I would have done that. I would have done it differently. And I think yeah. your, your kind of first pitch to Vim would have helped a lot, which is essentially like these guys were the best and, yeah. Yeah. and, and, you know, the, the music allegedly speaks for itself. But, um, that I think is also a, a thing working against this movie. Yeah. For sure. It's very passive. It's, it's like just the way that it starts too, where, where they're, that sort of, it's kind of a movie in search of itself. Yeah. Uh, you know, it doesn't, to your point, it doesn't kind of plant that flag early on of like who these guys are and why they're so important. That's the right. first hour it, of the movie. That, <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's the first hour of the movie. But yeah. so they get, but they do the who these guys are, yeah. but they don't really do why yes. these guys are so why important. Why are they important? Right. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. They just, they, they, yeah, they, they give you backstory on them, but you don't really know like why it's supposed to, why. And maybe it's not it there, anything. but I didn't get a sense that they were important <clears throat> in Cuba. Yeah. Right. I right. didn't get the sense that when they went out on the streets, people right. recognized them. Now, maybe they're not, but that's interesting sure. too. Yeah. I mean, the sense that I got was that this movie was Vim Vendors being like, yo, my bro, Rye Hooter, yeah. Yeah. who did my music for Paris, Texas. Yeah. He went down and recorded this stuff. And I want to go to Cuba and have a boys weekend for three days with my bro, Rye Cooter, and his son. And I'm going to bring Cooter, a camera man. because... Just, you can't make that up. If you write that yeah, name, it's just... I, yeah, it's like, I, I, think that's, I think that's 100% right. right? Um, <laughs> and then I'm going to get nominated for Oscar and Oscar. Yeah. And it's so sad in its own it's way. Just, it, maybe it speaks to the power of the music, it, you're no, right. it feels again. It, it, <laughs> he's so disappointed. Well, like, I mean, there was yeah. there was fine, but yeah. like I've eaten at Versailles, so like I know it's up. <laughs> oh my God. Well, but no, but we I do have, know you love Cuban. I have too. Cuban relatives, right? So like I could I could speak speak to this to some extent, but um, <laughs> I feel but no, like I feel like this record is still played though. Now, hundred percent. Twenty what years later? Yeah. Um, at like every tapas bar yep. in Middle America, mm-hmm. it's this I mean, is the like go to rotation. There's a very weary maitre d that like when they flip the sign over for like open at five p.m. has to put on chin <laughs> chin. And it's in its own and, way. Like, it's kind of it's kind of has that like Bubba Gump quality where you're like, I can't believe someone made a restaurant mm-hmm. based on this. 20 minute story tangent yeah. of Forrest Gump and it survived 25 years. Yeah. yeah. Every time I see that Bubba Gump shrimp up at uh, Universal City, I'm like, how is this still? And there's one on the a, pier and like, it's a national brand. It should also be said too. And, and I, you know, I don't want to put this up on too high a, a, a pedestal, but you know, this is a, a criterion movie as well. I know. And, and it's shocking to me. <laughs> it's kind of shocking. I saw that roll out. I was like, on the pedestal. <laughs> no, but, dude, like I, I love Criterion. I, I've, I own a lot of them and I do a- appreciate sort of this collection that they, that they're putting together. And it feels like they do have a bar sometimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, Armageddon's on there. So, you know, right. good movie. Uh, <laughs> and The Rock. Um, The Rock is there. It wasn't uh, the DVD version, um, but because they lose the rights to some of their movies. But long story short, Armageddon's this- really a cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> As is The Rock. Uh, the Rock great, kind of belongs there. Actually, we ride hard for auteur filmmakers, right? No matter what, and and, 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 and right is the past Wings of Desire is a Criterion, and Paris, Texas is a Criterion. People love so. this music, and the people love this music, and and it's just it's just interesting to me because when I watched it on iTunes, uh, the the box art came up, and I was like, right, this is a, this is a Criterion. Uh, I mean, I it. 
it feels like we're kicking the shit out of this movie, and in some way we are, but it's only because of the fact that we see the potential in it. I think that's and, right. And that's sort of the bummer of this movie a little bit, is is that and it's it's truly what what Ebert's whole review is about. Yeah. You know, he really talks about you know, he talks about other sort of uh, you know, amazing documentaries that he wishes, you know, he says, consider the emotional payoff of the not dissimilar, the Weavers, wasn't that a time? Consider Terry Swigoff's magical documentary, Louis Bluey. Oh, yeah. Um, the blues musician guy. You know what right? I mean? Like, why, why did this not do that? And, and his disappointment in that is more, is, is more of a reflection than, you know, than did, anything. Did you, and I'm, uh, this is going to sound like really glib, but oh, it's not. The, uh... Did you read a good review of it? Yes. Uh, what the Guardian, the, what the, the Guardian loved it. They said, exuberant and unpretentious are not adjectives normally applied to the films of Vim Vendors, but they define his wonderful new movie, this documentary about popular Cuban music. This film is a collaboration between Vendors and his composer, rock musician Ry Cooter, who's scored, you know, uh, a couple Perfect. of his films. There's a sharp contrast between the immaculately mixed soundtrack and the apparently casual look of the images visually, virtually all shot in steady camera with different crews at work in Cuba, Holland, and the States, but the different visual textures are part of the film's meaning. The crude, stabbing quality of the Cuban footage captures the harsh, decaying atmosphere of the subtropical Havana. The Amsterdam footage, however, is elegantly shot into saturated color by Robbie Muller, while the Carnegie Hall is garishly lit to match the unreal Manhattan that entrances the Cuban I performers. I don't know. All this leads me to believe is that the British don't understand have the capacity <laughs> for exuberance. I mean, the, the, either way, there were lots of positive reviews. Um, there were some that were middling. There were, you know, yeah. obviously the Ebert one, I think, is the one that sort of expresses what I feel about the film. Uh, Entertainment Weekly gave it a B minus. Like, it's just I was trying to sort of capture the the spectrum of it. You know, 90% on Rotten Tomatoes, there is no shortage of positive reviews of this yeah. film. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. There's, there's, there's a line where Ry Cooter explains to his son where he's like, you know, where they're flying into Los Angeles and he's like, you know, this is, you know, he, I forget what he says. He's like something to the effect of, you know, I felt like I was training for this my entire life and that this is one of those things where maybe once in your life you'll get a moment like this, you know, where you can bring together these people and record with mm -hmm. them and capture it in a place and time. Because again, I think Ry Cooter is the actual hero of this movie. Mm -hmm. I think the recording of the album is, a plus a hundred percent great work. The lesson here is that if you're going to have a moment like that, that's a once in your life moment. Don't bring Vim Vendor. <laughs> <laughs> Literally anybody else. I mean, I, it's, it's interesting because <laughs> you know, this movie made twenty three million dollars yeah. for a documentary, which that's is that's insane. that's crazy. It's crazy. Um, now again, a lot of this is piggybacking on the album, which did very, very, very well. Right. right? So you know, you've got. And, you know, two years between them, this album is, as you said, playing in every Starbucks across America, it feels like. And now there's a documentary about the making of it. So there's that. Um, but I also want to say, too, that – and I, I, I like to believe that this is – Generally speaking, the way documentarians go into whatever the subject is, especially when it comes to music, you know, what have you. But this is a, a loving tribute. This is a, this is a love letter to these people, um, to where they came from, to the music that they've made. And, and you do feel that. So, you know, if the film is successful in any way, I would say it's that, which is that I, I you know, we've talked about the ways that it doesn't work, but how it does work is the, the reverie and yeah. the love that Ryan and Vim have for these Even people fair. and for, or, and for what this, what transpired. Yeah. Um, and you do feel that. Um, and these, and, and also the love they have for each other. The, the yeah. band of musicians, you really do sense that they 
feel so lucky to be given this opportunity to get to play together again, to be able to, you know, you talk about how, uh, the musician who didn't have piano for two years, yeah. how, how thrilled he must be to just be on a stage with, with an instrument to be able to express himself in a way that he's, I imagine, wanted to for many years. So all of that is a testament to this film. Yeah. Um, and it's why, you know, I, I, you know, I give it like a 60 something or whatever. I, I don't, I certainly don't, Tell, wouldn't tell someone not to watch this documentary necessarily, but I also am not a music documentary and I yeah. haven't seen as many of them as, as obviously you have and have worked on. So I come from a different vantage point than you do, but do you want to well, do our, are we doing our ratings? Else? Wait, I want to hear your last, what are your last, uh, your top five? Oh, I did. I did them. Okay. Uh, Give me shelter, montage of heck, Mike get right. loud, PJ 20 jazz. Oh, I also right, liked, right, I liked right, shine right. a light too. If, right. Just maybe for the photography of it. I mean, yeah. I don't think it's a great, I mean, Scorsese's made better documentaries, sure. to be sure. Um, but there's something about sort of the, um, that movie grappled with like intimacy and epicness at the same time. Like there's, right. there's kind of something very interesting going on there. Sure. I don't think it really gets to the heart of the Rolling Stones by any means and really right. sort of like explains them at that time in their lives, but and in their career. But, um, but I mean, it's Scorsese kind yeah. of had a, make a movie <laughs> like it's so um but yeah that's sort of those that's where I, but you know I, I i don't know there's there's a part of me that feels like um really my paramount takeaway was dissimilar to yours which is that i do think the music is great yeah. and i was not exposed to this music other than hearing it sort of right. in the ether for for many years and to be able to sort of really wrap my arms around that a little bit also was a plus um but you know i <laughs> I think the music is great. Yeah. I think it's spectacular. I yeah. think, you know, you, I'm grateful for in the same way that, um, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for like a lot of those early WPA recordings of, of roots musicians. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, you know, I'm grateful for Ry Cooter for putting people like, you know, Ali Farka Ture on wax. Um, I like the album. I genuinely like the album. It like genuinely exposed me to, um, a genre of music. Yeah, a genre of music that I really wasn't exposed to. A plus for the album. <laughs> and like a, a plus for Ry Cooter for, yeah. for, for launching the initiative to put these guys on, on tape, you know, and a plus, I think for like the, it was funny because I was looking up a lot of the, um, of the musicians like Ibrahim Ferrer and, and Compay Segundo and they like all died within a couple years yeah, of this movie. Me too. You know, so a plus for giving a bunch of like really one last shot, one yeah. last, yeah, one yeah. last, one last, one last dance on the dance floor. I also F want, minus to <laughs> Vin Vanders. No, actually, no, not F minus D minus well, yeah, because we, I think, well, we do zero to 99. <laughs> So we'll do. We'll so do I'll that. do. What's fa- failing is sixty five in America. No fifty. Uh, anything below. 50. We, we do. We go on the Canadian system. So oh wow. I'm kidding. Um, we've always just done. We, we've always just done the uh, so fifty is um, is recommend or not recommend. That's generally the line we give. But before we 51, before we before one point we, over. What is abject failure? That's for me. All right. Before we rate it, I do want to say one other thing, which is. Um, so that the sequence in the cigar factory is filmed without a permit and, and that kind of taps into something that I wish the film explored, which is sort of the guerrilla filmmaking of making this film. Now I know there's a metatextuality to that, that perhaps Vin Vendors doesn't embrace. He certainly hasn't in his filmography. So why would he now? But the excitement and the sort of palpable kind of gun to your head, got to make this in a really short period of time. You don't feel that. And I really wish you felt that. Listen, uh, Having used that exact camera, sure, you know the Sony sure. like PC one hundred or PC one hundred one, which is whatever he was using, which was the the mini DV at that time. Yeah, shot stuff in 
places where you have, you know, government minders looking over your shoulder, you know, Saddam's Iraq, you know, uh, the West Bank, um, you know, Afghanistan, Pakistan, places like that. Sure. It's actually not that tough with cameras like that. Okay. Like, and, you know, you, you, you push the line. Your job is to push the edge of the box and their job is to push back. Right. And, like, if you're smart about when and how you want to shoot that stuff, you know, shoot everything that you can with the band for three days and then on your last day, fucking go all out and see what you can get away with right. until they put you on a plane. Let them drag <laughs> you off the fucking stage. Like have dummy footage That's ready amazing. to go, yeah. you know, like talk to some reporters, like yeah. talk to other people who do it more professionally, but like, don't just, you know, go in there with a uh, so F minus. What, what is for thin <laughs> vendors? What is, what's your favorite documentary? My That's favorite documentary of all time. Yeah. Of all time. Oh shit. Um, Oh, that's a good one. Hold on a second. Okay. Can I yeah. just yeah? Like, do you want you want to list? Do you want to see? A no, bunch I don't of, want to okay. list. Right. I just yeah, want to. I want that over. I mean, I think that if I had to pick I one, mean, but it might actually be a ninety nine. You're talking about like Night and Fog is on there, and that's not my favorite. But that movie is <laughs> fucking deeply. I love American. American movie is your favorite. Yeah. I love American movie. Um, but for what it's worth, yeah, it's a great documentary. I mean, I also I love Great Gardens. Uh, I don't really. Well, it's tough because what was the jo- Joshua Oppenheimer movie that he made about Indonesia? Oh, years? the um, killing. Um, um, the yeah, yeah, fucking, yes, yes. Yeah. I can't remember what it was called. Oh, my God. This is how I know I've gotten old. Like, I just, I used to be able to, like, remember this. <laughs> oh, thing. I know. It's awful. Um, I mean, there's a, there's. What is my favorite documentary. I mean, Brothers Keeper might be it because okay. it's so weird and it's crime. Yeah. And it's like, it's about a mercy killing and it's about these two brothers. And it's like, it's got a great gardens quality where you can't tell if it is incest or love or they're just from a different time. It is such a weird story. There, and yeah. And it's got the narrative of, I mean, there's so many great ones. Thin Blue Line, Thin Blue Harla Line. County, Thin Blue USA. Fantastic. Like, I mean, you know. Errol Morris is one of those filmmakers who doesn't really, who, do, who I think is the best kind of documentarian, which yeah. is he's not trying to sway you in one way or another. He's like, here are the facts. Yeah. You come up with, I mean, they can be crazy facts, but then you need to come to your own conclusion. Um, the I don't know yeah. doc that he did. And then the Donald yes, Rumsfeld yes, yes. doc that he Shadow did. Of, Shadow of Fog? Uh, fog, fog of War. Yeah. Fog, fog of War. Well, wait, you said the McNamara. That's, yeah. that's that Fog of War. Fog of War. That's Fog of War. And then um, I forget what the uh, – I mean, Dr. Death is, is a 99, yeah. Mr. Yeah. Death, which is also – Which I'd like to do I'm excited to, to look into that. I mean, it's it's a, it's a the act of killing. The act of killing. The act of killing. Okay, so I might put this out there that the act of killing might be in a weird way my favorite documentary and i will say this in an unqualified way i threw up after i saw that movie. wow Holy shit. i walked outside what we saw it at whatever it is. what's the um the it's not the new art it's the uh the one on um santa monica boulevard just That's west the of art. four or five is that the new yeah, art, new new art. art. saw it at the new art with my wife my now wife who's then my girlfriend and great date movie great date movie <laughs> And I literally, I don't know what it was. I think it was, it was still a couple years after having just done like a bunch of, you know, I'd gone to, um, you know, Rwanda and, you know, seen the genocide there and like, you know, done some stuff around the Sudan and, you know, had this really, you know, had, had just, there was more, um, active witnessing of stuff like that. And the, 
I think that's the thing is the, the witnessing, which the greatest thing that a documentary can do is it can really truly bear witness to something. Mm -hmm. And there is a bearing witness to the psychosis of violence in that movie that it brought some, I mean, it brought something, it brought up my lunch. Like it, it <laughs> was such an effective and horrifying piece of filmmaking and like such a dark mirror to notions of, you know, what we call freedom and what we call liberty. And then how we like use that as a banner to commit immense acts of violence yeah. and just things that were done in that movie. Like, the the corralling of victims of genocide to reburn their footage to placate who were clearly war criminals just so that you could see the boundless narcissism and psychotic ego that went into people who were parts of death squads was to me the equivalent of night and fog and i'm jewish and i come from holocaust survivors and stuff like that like but that movie man that movie to this day, I will never watch it again. And it fucking rocked me to my core. And so I'll put that at number one because that's great filmmaking. Sure. That's art. It can make you feel that way for sure. It's I, like I, fucking Guernica. I'm curious as to what you think about sort of this. I don't want to, this new kind of, I don't want to say it's a fad, but it does feel like there's this sort of audacious documentary documentaries that are sort of shock documentaries, if you will. You're, you're sort of shockumentaries, uh, shockumentaries, if you will. Uh, you're, um, mommy dead and dearest. Is that, is that the, sure. the one that the act was based yeah. on? Um, uh, the, the fry festival stuff, like a lot of these fire, fire, fire sorry. festival. Yeah. I always fuck that up. Um, these documentaries that are sort of like, holy shit, I can't believe this happened documentaries, which, I, I don't I, I don't know how to feel about it because like they are entertaining. I put that in quotation marks to watch, but I think Roger and Me was a shock documentary. Sure, sure. I think that's like that's Michael so maybe Moore. it's not new. It's, I, I just, don't think yeah. it's. I think Michael and and I think what Errol Morris does. I think Michael Moore Morris's Michael Moore's career. Yeah, is essentially. You won't believe the depravity, the depravity of these people. Sure, right. You know, like sure. you won't believe how deep the rot goes. Yeah. I guess I'm, I'm looking at the criminality through a sort of slightly different lens. Like there's something more overt about a murderer within a documentary than well, the mean, crimes of, I of, mean, of Paradise Lost, Paradise is, Lost yeah, is a good example yeah, yeah, of yeah, that. Yeah, and yeah. you know, I mean, I think, uh, what was the uh, Stephen Avery one called? Um, that was so good on Netflix. Huh. You know what I'm talking about. The one oh, that was the, so, making the a murderer. Bundy? Oh yeah. Making a murderer. Making a, yeah, 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 yeah. making a murderer. Like I, I do think there is a kind of and new jinx. So another sort yeah, of yeah. There's there's a new newer thing on television. Yes, yes. This idea of true sensationalist true crime, yeah. true crime as fodder for a documentary mm -hmm. um, that can get out of control in the wrong hands. Yeah. Well, I think there's that was what I was sort of trying to articulate. But it goes to the what's I can is this really happening and what's going to happen next? Right. Like mm -hmm. you're watching someone who you establishes a murderer. They're walking around free, like in the case of the Jinx. Jinx. Yeah. And it's will they? give up the ghost and indict themselves. Um, you know, that's, that's good narration. I mean, I mean that's what happened in the fog of war, right? Like, yeah. um, you, it's all to those moments where you're like, you actually get the, the truth of who yeah. someone is. Or for it's, Nixon. The, it's the, you can't handle the truth moment where yeah. someone actually sort of blurts out. It, they what say you know to be reality. It's happened on camera every once in a while. Yeah. Very, I yeah. mean, like, you know, like yeah. Frost Nixon, like these yeah. things that are like, like so cultural mm -hmm. paradigm shifting that's obviously like what we want to happen with trump at some point it's never going to happen so i mean but he, he well he's 
<laughs> he just keeps dancing there. He keeps he on some level he just loves to different. walk on this line of of. I think, uh, <laughs> but I either think, way, I, 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 I think that there's something very. Um, I, I don't know. We don't have a ton of documentaries in '99. We got a handful. Right. Um, we got American movie. We got American movie. We got, we got this. this. We got Mr. Death. No, Mr. Death. Four we'll days in September. Yeah. Right. Or one day in September, excuse me. So we have Gebrus. We uh, have. <laughs> you know what's yeah. crazy about it is that, like, yeah. this is maybe the beginning of 99 becomes really the beginning of the, the documentary sense. Documentary yeah. sense. Reality sense. We had American like, Pimp in 99 too. I've never seen American Pimp. Really? I've heard of it. I've heard it's very good. That's going to be a. Re- Is that I, the Hughes Brothers? That's the yeah, going to the Players Ball. Yep, it's, that's an interesting. It's one. a really interesting documentary. That'll be really. That'll um, be, yeah, that's a Hughes Brothers movie. It introduces the Archbishop Don Magic One. Is that true? It's true. It does. It does those things. Uh, it's it's uh, it's actually ninety nine actually has some some somewhat uh, fascinating documentaries which I'm looking forward to talking about. Well, I, I, I will say to Gideon's point. Grass is ninety nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Stone and watch that. This movie <laughs> making twenty three million dollars. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably contributed to the documentary documentarian renaissance, for whatever sure. we call it, right. for more as much as anything. For sure. You know, there's this thing where Bowling for Columbine, which comes a couple years after later, years later, and like is also Fahrenheit nine eleven. Yeah, Fahrenheit nine eleven. Yeah, yeah. Suddenly you have these movies that you're making for one or two million dollars and are making you know ten serious money. I mean, I mean Fahrenheit nine eleven makes made a hundred million dollars. That's yeah. so crazy. People hate a bush. <laughs> uh, but that the, the Trump documentary will make even but more. This is it this won't. is why reality television is so pervasive, and this is why you know right. documentary yeah. films is so pervasive. Is for a low cost, you can make something that has a tremendous return. And why there was a period, of probably about six or eight months ago, where people went from watching the Firefest doc to the new, you know, Adnan Syed doc mm-hmm. yeah. to the Elizabeth Holmes doc, where everyone was like, "What's the new doc? What's the new doc?" Yep. So yeah. there is this. It, it's it's Big on Netflix, it's big on, big on Hulu, it's big on HBO, mm-hmm. the Wu-Tang doc. Like right. people were watching yeah. nothing but document, documentaries or yeah. documentary television for like a lot of early 2019. Yeah. When it, it does feel like that's that's a real search for the quote-unquote the truth. That's like we are right now, obviously we have a president who just lies every day. Right. And we are just desperately in search of something to hold on to like please tell me that this is real right um and i think that that's definitely feeding some of this true crime documentary kind of resurgence but also you know not to not to you know whatever but like it's cheap the overhead's low on these movies they're they're relatively inexpensive to make and the and if they hit you know or i don't know what netflix pays for a documentary but i imagine it's you know you do pretty well if, if they want it so it is it's an interesting genre of 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 filmmaking that we're sort of in television now um you know the jinx was one of those crazy moments like that that's i still remember what when it aired yeah and cnn sent on an alert it was crazy yeah jeez it was the craziest because it was spoiled it for me because they sent out an alert (laughs) based on the east coast feed yeah which is so crazy to think about something that was actually filmed yes x you know x amount of that's another that's another great documentary by the way it's not the jinx but um, capturing the freedom capturing the capturing the freedom is what i was going to say before that's yes and i i think what's so remarkable about that is you know another great thing that you have which is intimacy and access to your Mm -hmm. subjects Mm -hmm. you know that 
a look at a family that was a going really upsetting documentary to watch. Yeah, yeah I didn't know. Very upsetting. That was that was definitely sort of a, a head rolling down a highway sort of situation where I was like, I don't, I, I wanted to almost stop watching it as it started to yeah. unravel in a way that I was, but you can't look away. Sarah, what was Sarah Polly's documentary? About? Stories we tell, that which was is a, good a one phenomenal too. documentary. Yeah. Um, and and also kind of not a documentary. <laughs> the very strange sort of mm-hmm. the, the blending again. What is truth and this idea of sure. especially with family, you know, that the broken telephone of generations. Yeah, <laughs> excuse me, and that idea of like. How well do you know these people and where do you come from? Um, mixed with this idea of, of storytelling. I mean, that, that, I think that film is. Yeah, that's an interesting way. Movie. That's an interesting way to like, to do it. I, you know, um, Wild Wild Country, which came out a couple of years mm-hmm. ago, mm-hmm. like the Rashomon like quality of an sure. oral history yep. as you start to understand who are these people in the context around these people. Yep. I also feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about documentary now for a quick second and just oh say like it's how yeah. brilliant That's it is. That's the greatest show. I mean, it's, it's, it's the niche of niche when it comes to television. Yeah. But God bless it for existing. I wonder. Yeah. yeah. The best. <laughs> and like, they mock all of it. What was the one that I was watching? I was watching co-op the other night. Yeah, Have the you musical. Where they like, oh, it's unbelievable. Oh, yeah. Like doing their version of company. Like, yeah. and it's just, it's unbelievable. It's so great. Yeah, it's 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 All really really incredible. I, it's it's also the recreation is just truly incredible. That's as the well. show that I yeah. can't figure out the budget on. <laughs> yeah, no. Like I diff- yeah. different everything every yeah. week. Yeah, it's it's that's it's, bizarre. I mean, that's, they must be taking no money to do this. This must just be them doing it for fun. I'm sure they're doing yeah, it. Yeah, I'm sure they're doing it. Yeah, it's yeah. a creative expression, and yeah. you know, it becomes sort of a sustaining business on a small level. And it's like, so IFC too. Working. Yeah, it's like the quintessential IFC show for yeah, all intents and purposes. Right. It's also just, I mean, that's, that's the, the first one I watched was the, the gray gardens one. Right. And that turn is just amazing. Like what they do with it. I don't know. I, I, I really, I haven't seen the Kate Blanchett one though, which I, everyone says is, is which pretty was amazing. That? that was last season. Okay. They're saying she might win an Emmy for it. Oh my God. <laughs> but you know, um, so should we rate this? I guess let's do the yeah. ratings. Let's rate. Yeah. Benny, you want to go first? Uh, yeah. I gave it a 53. Okay. Um, I'm thinking about dropping below 50. Really? Yeah. <laughs> my initial. It's an F minus over my there. Initial, just really, uh... My initial kind of feeling was like, <sighs> it was kind of like, I wouldn't feel good recommending someone to this. We're recommending someone to watch this. Like, I know really? that I would be okay. stealing an hour and 40 minutes of their lives. Yeah. Or, I just know it. I know yeah. that they'd be sitting there being like, why did he tell me to watch this? Like, just put so, on the record. For, well, I, let me ask you con- just conceptually or, or contextually. Uh, if someone comes to you and says, I love the album, should I watch? I'd say no. <laughs> okay. No, that's a, that, I think I would still recommend that's this a, that. I would say no. Okay. Um, All right. And I assume if someone really loves the album, yes, they would have watched without asking me. You know, like in a way <laughs> that, a like, test. in a completest kind of yeah. way, yeah. like you know. And I thought PJ Twenty was was great, but yeah, like right. PJ Twenty was great because you know, I sure. love that band, yeah. and it's important to me to kind of get you know be a little completest about them. Sure. Um, or the White Stripes documentary, for instance. Also a great. The, are you talking uh, about the one in Canada when they the Northern yeah, Lights? Like, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's a beautiful documentary. So I'm going to drop down. Somewhat significantly, um, to like a forty-two. Wow. I mean, I, I started higher than you. Yeah. I, I think I, I think I was swept up a little bit more in the uh, the love letter of it all and the sweetness of it because I'm um, I'm a Canadian. Big, I'm big softy. Uh, so I give it a sixty-eight coming in here, okay. but I've dropped pretty significantly. I'm I'm down to like a fifty-three now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm barely recommending this, but I still think that. 
The music's great. If you don't know anything about Cuban music or about sort of that, that sort of genre of music, I think it is insightful in that way. I didn't know much about it. So right. I learned something while watching it. And I, I can't take anything away from the idea of someone wanting to learn about another culture. I'll say one thing though. In 99, which I never saw in 99, yeah, there's a different thing going on there sure. with, with, before Obama kind of lifted the embargo and every network was able to send people to Cuba and we had a, we all have a much better sense of what's going on in Cuba sure, today right. than we did in 99. So there is more of a peep behind the curtain thing back mm-hmm. then yeah. that we don't get today. Sure. And, be, and it's not like they really did it better or in any way. They just were the kind of the first ones there. Yeah. So I'm sure that meant something in 99 that means nothing to me today. Sure. Um, where are you I was going to give it 66, which is a point ahead of failing. It's mm-hmm. a D minus <laughs> in the American grading system. But did you see it in 99? I did see it in 99. Do you remember liking it back then? Or I remember – I think I remember – I don't know. I just I, – I think I maybe saw it when it came out on VHS mm-hmm. and then I don't think I ever really finished it because I was like, oh, album's great. But I think I've gotten everything that I need to get out of this. <laughs> this is a boring movie. And then um, – Learning that your grading system is 50 or above, mm-hmm. um, I would drop it to 51. But then I decided I want to give it 52 out of respect. <laughs> to, <laughs> out of respect to <laughs> the incredible musicians involved, like That's Ibrahim amazing. Ferrer and Kampai Segundo yeah. and Omar. <laughs> it's my respect for those musicians that keeps me below 50. <laughs> Apparently. Uh, I think <laughs> that amazing. I think that it is this is in no way, shape, or form a referendum on them. This is a real referendum on a lost opportunity by mm-hmm. a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And uh and so I hear you on that. I mean it's it's yeah. I think we I think what we can all agree on, first of all, we're all kind of within sure. striking distance of yeah. each other, uh, that this was disappointing and that we all wish that there was a better film made oh, about these right. tremendously talented I've wanted people. to do this film for a very long time. I bring it up all the time. Yeah, you do. Um, just because I'd never seen it and I like music docs and I also thought that like it was probably good. Yeah. Well, because um, everyone raved about it in 99. Most documentaries yeah. that peak, at, peak their head up above, you know, kind of – the the cloud of of kind of the wasteland of American documentaries. I only say that in the like there are hundreds of thousands of documentaries that sure. no one ever know that no one yeah. ever knew existed. Most of them are good. <laughs> Almost all of them are good. Yes. Um, yes. This is one of the worst I've seen that actually has made an impression on the American public. Yeah. So. This is like this is the equivalent of like some crazy super fan being like, oh dude, you love that album? Here's like the crazy like. Jam session, special edition. Yeah. You've got to listen, yeah. and the real fans listen yeah. to that record. Yeah, and yeah. it's like, no, man, I'm fine with the studio record. I'm not. I know. do think that you made a really good point earlier, though, um, which is that the the love of the album, um, mixed with access, quite honestly, yeah. you kind of couldn't fuck this up. Like it, it's it, it just kind of felt like. The bare amount of effort seemed to be put into this. I don't think it's fucked up, by the way. I right. like yeah. a fuck up is like yeah, thirty sure, five sure, and sure, below. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I just think this is like it's just it's a it's a whiff. It's, it's just like just, it yeah. like it, to me. It's just you know there. For instance, we're not doing uh, a you ton could of- have a lit cigar perched in an ashtray. <laughs> And just play the entire record as the cigar. It's like the beginning of the wall. <laughs> slowly burns down. You know, against a poster of Che Guevara in the background. 
And it might be as well, I mean, that's like watching the fire on the the Yule yeah, log, yeah, which yeah. I'll do just. Uh, yeah. uh, my my disappointment is partially for this particular movie, but also because like so few documentaries in any given year that like yeah. get theatrical releases, mm-hmm. we're only going to do what ten. We'll tops? probably do ten. Yeah, my guess is um, there. or less. And uh, you want them all to be good? Well, I mean, looking at the, there were some I didn't even know were in '99 as I when I looked them up. So I, I think it's safe to what say. What are we going to do, do real fast? Uh, I'll, I'll throw some out. We're going to do American okay. movie. American Hold on. We got Buena Vista Social Club. One day in in September, we've got Mr. Death, American Pimp, Beyond the Mat, which oh, of very, course, which you're very excited yeah. about. Oh wow, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not my favorite Nick wrestling Foley. documentary, but uh, it's there's uh, my voyage to Italy. Um, oh, there's the Scorsese one, I believe so. Okay, uh, Grass, which we mentioned. Um, what else do we have here? Um, those are those are the big ones. Um, but you know that's that's you know there's a handful. There's a there's Dial H for Hitchcock, which was a documentary about Hitchcock. Maybe we could talk about mm-hmm. Hitchcock. That could be interesting. I would do that. Uh, we have the the documentary that uh, came out recently, the Jim Carrey Man on the Moon thing. That we'll talk about. Uh, so we'll, we'll talk, talk about, about that. So we should probably do that as sort mm-hmm. of a two parter. The movie. Oh, we already that. did. Um, we already did uh, overnight. Oh, we did overnight. Yep. So yeah, I mean, I think we're probably hovering around ten, is my guess. Yeah, give yeah. or take. But yeah, I mean, there's uh, my best fiend as well. But the the conversation Wait, that came out in ninety nine. Yeah, that that, that documentary is crazy. Great about, movie. Um, oh my god, Werner Herzog, 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 Herzog and uh, Klaus Kinski. Klaus Kinski and their yeah. contentious father of Natasha Kinski, yes. star of Paris, Paris Texas. All comes full circle. But yeah, and then the Genghis Blues. Oh, Genghis Blues. So there's there's a handful. You know, yeah, cool. you guys have a lot to look forward to. We're going to do them all in one episode. <laughs> no, we're not. No, we're going to be Beyond the Mat over the course of four oh, episodes. Jesus Christ. Yeah, and Beyond then, the Mat, the one we're all very excited for. Beyond the Mat's an amazing documentary. I'm sure it is. I'm, I'm looking it's forward to It's not the best wrestling documentary, but it's an amazing documentary. The best one is, anyone? I don't know. Hitman Heart Wrestling with Shadows? Oh, no. Have you seen that? <laughs> no. <laughs> Hands down. It's well, I'm sure we'll talk about belief. it. I'll talk to you about it off mic. I'm not going to bore everyone. Uh, next week, we're doing Midsummer Night's Dream. Oh, cool. Yeah. With uh, Joanna Robinson yeah. of uh, Vanity like Fair. I like that. I like that. Um, she also has two podcasts, uh, Little Gold Men and uh, Still Watching. They're currently doing uh, Secession, which is a great show. And if you're not watching, Amazing. you should be. Uh, so she's going to come on. We're going to talk about Shakespeare and, and the ridiculously stacked cast that is uh, Midsummer Night's Dream. Um, it is. It's crazy. Um, and I liked it. I don't know if you did. I did. You, didn't, you did? Yes, quite a bit. Great. Awesome. Looking forward to talking about it. Uh, I, I, was, I was pleasantly surprised. I had. Yeah. I saw it in the theater in 99. I might even like it more than you. No, I really liked it. Mm. Oh, I don't know. Mm. I mean, it's on, my, it's on my top five. Is it on your top five? I guess it could we have We did been. our top five Yeah, I, mean, I guess, I guess so. it will be. I kind of left it off on purpose, but I mean, okay. I like it more than a movie I put on there for sure. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so next week, Midsummer Night Stream with Joanna Robinson. Uh, please tune in. You're on Twitter, right? What's your Twitter, Twitter handle? Gideon Diego. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, we are at Podcast Like 1999 uh, on Instagram and on Twitter. Please rate, review, subscribe, and thank you for listening. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999. Podcast like it. You want a podcast like it. 1999. <laughs>
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.